Well, good morning, Christ Covenant. Great to see all of you. Children, kindergarten through second graders, you are dismissed for Children's Church. Have fun, kiddos. Please turn in your Bibles to 1 John. We have been going through this series for a little while now, and it's, it's been fun. Uh, but uh, we're now in the middle part of the series. Chapter 2, verses 18 through 27 is what I'll be reading this morning. Before I do, uh, last week we heard a message about how John told the believers of Ephesus to, to be careful when they deal with the world. And now John talks about to, for us to be careful and be mindful of deceivers from within our midst, of false teachers and antichrist figures uh, from among us. So 1 John chapter 2 is where we are, verse 18. This is God's holy and inspired word. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would, not, or they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are all not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge." I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, Then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it is taught you, abide in him. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. John is talking to believers in the church of Ephesus, and he's talking to us today. And what he was writing about was we need to be mindful of deception. We need to be aware of people uh, who claim to be Christians and who aren't. And there are several things and factors that we can know uh, an antichrist figure from a true believer. Uh, and he gives us three of those things. Uh, but before he, he gives us that, he, he mentions this verse in verse 18. He says, children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard, that antichrist is coming, so now many antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. Uh, first, if you're just now joining us for the first time, we welcome you here And throughout this series, John uses this phrase, little children, when he wrote these words to the believers of Ephesus. He wasn't speaking down to these people. He was using it as a term of endearment, and he uses it all throughout this letter. And when he said little children, he was writing as an 80-plus-year-old spiritual father and grandfather uh, to these younger believers in the faith. And he was just talking to them like uh, a mature, seasoned Christian when he said little children. So it was a term of endearment. And then he went on to say it's the last hour. Now, if you just read this first glance, you might think, well, that sounds odd. It seems like a really long hour. (laughs) If you're reading it like that, the last hour. It's been about 2,000 years since John wrote these words, close, close to 2,000 years. 
that's a long hour. And, and some of you have had days that feel really long. And I'll be frank with you. Uh, the last week and a half, we have had the flu bug. And I'm on day 11, so I'm good. Uh, but I'm still slowly recovering. This has been a slow recovery for me. And it's just been one after another. And we're in that flu season in East Tennessee. How fun is that? Uh, hopefully God will prevent uh, us from, from, many of us from getting it. But he didn't with us. And there were days this week where I felt like they were eternity. <laughs> they were just long days, drawn out days as I'm fighting this, this flu bug. That's not what John was talking about. He wasn't saying that there's a literal long hour that we're about to face and that we're dealing with, but whenever he uses the term last hour or long hour, he's talking about the last days or the latter days. And you see this used throughout the New Testament often, the latter days or we're living in the last days. What does that mean? Uh, basically what that means is there's a time period between when Jesus, uh, when he first came and when he will come again, when he will come again, or really his ascension and his return. And we're living in the last days. Even though it's been 2,000 years, we're living in those last days awaiting for our King of Kings and Lord of Lords to return. So that's what John was referring to when he said we're living in the last hour. But then he went on to say an antichrist will come. You may not know this, but John is the only person in the Bible who uses the term antichrist. And he uses it about four times throughout these letters, antichrist. Now, the word anti, it has two meanings. It means one who is against and then one who is in the place of someone else. So there's two different meanings here that the word anti uh, is used for. And in this case, John is really referring to both meanings. He's saying there is going to be an antichrist figure who is going to be against Jesus and who will substitute, be a substitute for Jesus. He'll put himself in place of Jesus. And this figure will come. Many scholars, they've debated about this antichrist figure that John was specifically referring to. Uh, many people believe that he was referring to the man of lawlessness in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And others believe that uh, that same person was referred to as the beast in Revelation chapter 13. So many people think that this is who John was talking about. Uh, many people believe that that antichrist figure has already come and his name is Nero and because he was the most brutal uh, of, of people to Christians. I mean, the things he did were just disturbing and things that you wouldn't want to see in a, in a movie. I mean, just unbelievable things that he did. And then there are, of course, many people who believe the antichrist uh, person is still to come. Uh, so what I believe John was getting at is his main point of this text is not to focus on this last figure of, of the last times, of the last day, but instead to focus on deceivers in the church and antichrists who are among us because he goes on to say that many antichrists have already come. So what he was saying is we've already seen many of them and we will see more to come and even one to come. We're going to see this happen and this take place. And then he goes on to describe who these anti, antichrist people are. Now, in John's day, he was dealing with antichrist figures because he was dealing with people who were in the church who were teaching a form of Gnosticism, who were saying, hey, you can reveal a new special knowledge from God if you just believe in what we teach. And John was saying, believers in Christ don't buy into the fake and false teachings and teachers that are among you, but instead remain faithful. And, and so as he went on, he went on to describe how there, yes, were many antichrists before. There's antichrists to come. 
But, but then he goes on to say, how can you determine an antichrist from a true believer? How can you determine a deceiver from a believer? How can you determine someone who professes their faith as opposed to someone who possesses Christ in their faith? And he gives us three things. And what I like about this text is it's like a ping pong match. I know a lot of you play ping pong back and forth. He goes back and forth saying, this is what a deceiver or an antichrist person is and what he or she looks like. And this is what a, a true believer is and what they look like. And, and the first mark that he describes between a deceiver and a believer is he goes on to talk about how a deceiver, an antichrist, will depart from Christian fellowship where a believer will remain in Christian fellowship. Uh, so in verse 19, he went on to say, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. These antichrist people, they left the faith altogether. They, they not just left the church, but they left the faith. And there have been people throughout history who have been antichrist-like people who at first appear to be believers, but over time they fizzle out. And they not only leave the church, but they leave the faith. And oftentimes it's because they've either been disciplined and excommunicated from the church because of things they were teaching and saying, or it's because they got so disgruntled with the church and the denomination that they said, enough of this, I'm going to start my own. Did you know that most cults have been started by a person who was within the evangelical church who left the church because they disagreed with its teachings and they thought that they had a new revelation from God? That's how cults start. And that's where Antichrist come from. And we know it's simply because they don't remain in the church. They don't remain in Christ. That's what John was saying. That's a mark of an antichrist person. Uh, one pastor, uh, he said it this way, when you see a star fall, you know it's not a star. When you see a star fall, you know it's not a star. Now, we know that stars don't fall. And for those of you who, who love to study stars and astronomy... We, we do have these things known as shooting stars, and a lot of people say, well, those are falling stars. But are shooting stars actually stars? No, they're not. Uh, they're not. It's, they're meteoroids that consist of small rocks and dust particles. So even though it appears to be a star that's shooting across the sky, it's not. So when you see a star fall, what you're seeing is not actually a star. When you see a Deceiver fall from the faith, what you're actually seeing is not a true believer. You're seeing a deceiver, someone who does not know Jesus and does not possess Jesus. So that's the first mark of an antichrist person is they, they don't remain in the fellowship. But, but what about believers? Well, believers, they remain in fellowship. Go back to verse 19. It says, they would have continued with us. John was saying if a person was truly a believer, they would have remained faithful to the Lord. He's not saying that people can't go from one church to another. That happens often where, where people will leave a church and go, go to another uh, because of various reasons. And sometimes they're good reasons, sometimes they're bad reasons. That's not what John was talking about. He's saying if these people have left the church altogether, you're going to know that they are a deceiver. But a true believer will stay not only with the church community, but with Christ and what keeps the church together? What keeps them in the church? 
John answers by saying the Holy Spirit and the truth. Verses 20 and 21, he said, you have been anointed by the Holy One and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and because no lie is of the truth. What is he getting at? He's saying all believers have one thing in common. Not only are they sinners, but they've been anointed by the Holy Spirit. What some of my friends and other denominations would say about verses like these is they would say, well, there's only a specific few people that will receive this special anointing of the Holy Spirit. And they can do things like speak in tongues or, or say prophecies or, or promote uh, healing and perform all these miracles. That's not what John was getting at when he said the anointing of the Holy Spirit. What he's saying here is that every believer has been anointed by the Spirit, meaning when you become a Christian... You've been anointed. The Holy Spirit comes in you. You are united with Christ through his spirit. And here's the good news. Once Holy Spirit enters you and he's with you, he remains in you. He will not leave you. And the truth will remain in you because he will begin to illuminate his words so that you'll begin to understand God's words more clearly. Have you ever had a Bible study and you said, that's exactly what I needed to hear? Well, that tells me you're a believer. But it also tells me the Holy Spirit's speaking to you. He's convicting you. He's, he's challenging you. He's encouraging you. He's supporting you. That's how this works. And the truth will remain in you. And so again, how do you know a believer from a deceiver? A believer remains in the faith. They remain in the Christian community. 1 Corinthians 12, Paul said it this way, for in one spirit we all were baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. One spirit, what's he saying? We've all been anointed by the Holy Spirit. This is not designed for a specific few. All believers have been anointed. And it's from when we were changed, when we were regenerated, when we were, had a new birth, a born again experience. You know, here's the good news again. Once he's in you, he'll never leave you. And Paul went on to say in 1 Corinthians 1, he said, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. And look at this verse. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. He is faithful he has effectually called you. He's wooed you. He's enticed you. He's persuaded you. And he is going to keep you until the end. You know, here in our church, we promote the, the doctrine of perseverance of saints. A believer perseveres until the end. They don't leave the faith. And so that's the first mark where you can see the difference between an antichrist figure and a true, genuine believer. The second thing that John mentions here is that Antichrist will deny Christian faith where believers will embrace Christian faith and hold on to it. Verse 22, he said, the Antichrist, who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. You may not know this, but John was dealing with an Antichrist figure in his day. His name was Serentheus. Uh, Serentheus was in the church of Ephesus, and over time, he began to teach things that were odd. He taught that Mary and Joseph had a natural-born son, Jesus, who was merely a human and not a God-man. He went on to say that 
at uh, the baptism of Jesus. That's when the Spirit infused in him and he became God-like. That's what was being taught in John's day. And John said, watch out for people like Serentius. You know, it's really funny. I studied history this week. Uh, There was a man named Polycarp who was a disciple of John. And Polycarp once said that John was visiting the church of Ephesus and he had to take a bath and he was going to a home to take a bath and he had heard that Serentius was in town and around that house or it had been around him. And, And this is what he said. He said, John said, let us fly for this bathhouse may fall down because Serentius, the enemy of truth, is within. What he was saying is he was saying, Serentius is near me and near this house, and if I enter this house and I take a bath, and if he's near here, God might just strike it down because he's a heretic. So I'm going to run. So apparently John didn't bathe that day. But he ran away. Isn't that interesting? So John was dealing with an antichrist in his day, but as we've studied church history and throughout history, world history, we've seen, we've seen many antichrist figures emerge, cult-like people who have emerged. There was one man in early church history, his name was Arius, and he said there was a time when Jesus did not exist. He was in the church, and he was excommunicated from the church. I wonder why. There was a man named Marcion who said that Jesus was a phantom, a ghost, He was in the church, excommunicated the church. I wonder why. We have seen it time and time again. People have even claimed that Stalin and Mussolini and Hitler were antichrist-like because of what they did to Christians. We know an antichrist when they begin to deny the faith and they question the son and question the father and, and who they are. Now, we know a believer from a deceiver And that believers remain with Jesus. They believe that Jesus is who he said he was and who he said he is. That he is the God-man. And verse 23 continues, whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. The word that sticks out to me here is the word abide. And it's one of John's favorite words. He uses it 27 times in this letter. 27. Abide. What does it mean in Greek? Menu. It means to remain. It means to really be held to. To be stuck to. What what John was getting at is, you know a believer from a deceiver in that they remain in the truth. They, They believe in the essentials. They believe in what they were taught in the beginning as a believer that that Jesus is who he says he is, that he is the son of God. You know, as I think about the word remain, I think about John 15, when Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. He said in verse four, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. What he's saying here is, Christian, I'm with you. I'm remaining in you. If you remain in me, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing of spiritual value and spiritual good. So you know a believer, if they remain in Christ and they remain in the essential truths of the gospel, of Christianity, of the Bible. And the promise of those of us who remain in Christ is amazing. Verse 25, this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. Eternal life is our promise. What's the promise for the Antichrist? 
Eternal death and destruction, eternal hell. So there's a clear distinction between a true believer and a deceiver. And we see that if they remain in the Son and in the essentials of the faith. The third mark that John gave us as he's hitting that ping pong back and forth is he said that Antichrist deceived the Christian faithful where the Christian faithful will not be deceived. So an Antichrist will deceive or try to deceive the Christian faithful. Verse 26, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. You know, as I think about Antichrist, I think about uh, how they, they try to make things appear real when they aren't. And when I think about an Antichrist, I think about a magician. And this week, as I'm watching the news, I'm, as I'm reading all the news highlights, I, I came across one of my favorite magicians, and it wasn't a good news story about him, David Copperfield. We don't know the ins and outs of the Epstein thing and his relationship with him, but long story short, I wasn't happy to see that. And I went back and learned more about Copperfield, but, but you may not know this, when I was a kid, I was in Birmingham, Alabama, and my dad took me to a Copperfield show. I was, uh, I was, a, I was a teenager, or preteen, and, and we went, and, and I, I was blown away by this magician, David Copperfield. There was a moment where he was on the stage, and he's literally flying across the stage, and the whole time I'm, I'm looking, I'm, I'm scanning the stage thinking, where's that rope? Where's that string that's holding Copperfield up? Where's his harness? How is he doing this? And I never once saw the string. I never once saw the rope. I never saw a harness. I'm thinking, how in the world is this man doing it? And everybody gave him a standing ovation because he said, here's the first flying man out there. Of course, he didn't fly. Angels fly. People don't. Um, uh, but, but here's the thing about Copperfield. It's amazing. As you study him, there's things that he did. He was the great illusionist. He, he was able to make the Statue of Liberty disappear, apparently. He made things seem like uh, they weren't there. That's what Antichrist people do. They make things appear to be real and true, but in reality, they aren't. I kid you not, yesterday, I was, I was at the military base, and I was talking to this person, and they were telling me, this is fascinating, I was like, this is a great sermon illustration, but they were telling me that they've been really interested in these docu-series on HBO, and, and, and they were saying that, this, that there was this story about a woman who was from Tennessee. Uh, she went to the University of Tennessee, and grew up in Memphis, and she ended up going to Memphis State for her graduate degree and became a dietitian. And while she was in Memphis, she came up with this diet plan, a weight loss plan, uh, that had some biblical values and principles in it. And it was a 12-week study, and it took off. And this woman ended up starting at a mall and got support, and then she took it to churches, and Bellevue Baptist was the first church to host her event. Many people know about that church. Some of you are from that church. But this woman started her ministry in Bellevue Baptist. Her name was Gwen Shamblin, and the show is The Way Down, God, Greed, and the Cult of Gwen Shamblin. Uh, but long story short, as Shamblin began to get success with this weight loss program, uh, she ended up uh, really believing everything that she was saying. And a lot of the stuff she was saying wasn't really helpful. Uh, she, she ended up really hurting women because she would tell them to cut food portions in half and eat only when you're hungry, almost promoting or anorexia. This is what she did. It, just unbelievable. But as time went on, she ended up uh, being kicked out of the church. And I'm sure Bellevue 
ended up losing or leave, making her leave because she started saying that the Trinity wasn't biblical. And she ended up starting her own church out in Brentwood called the Remnant Fellowship. And she said, I want all of you people who are going through my weight loss program to tithe to the one true church, Remnant Fellowship. And you'll be blessed if you tithe and give your money to Remnant Fellowship. What's well, really tragic ending because we know that this woman ended up getting a divorce and uh, she ended up dying uh, several years ago and she was a multimillionaire and it's sad because she gave nothing uh, to the church. We don't even know if she left money for her family. That, my friends, is what we call an antichrist. Someone who was in the church who really wasn't a true believer. We gotta be mindful and watchful of these people because they try to deceive the faithful believer. But what about believers? Believers will not be deceived. And John tells us in verse 27, but the anointing that you receive from him abides in you and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. What is John saying here? He's saying Christians will not be deceived because they have the anointed holy one who is the teacher who will teach them what they need to know to be true. What he's saying here is that there is a difference between revelation and illumination. He's saying there are Gnostic teachers out there, false teachers, antichrist figures who are gonna come in and try to woo you and entice you and lead you astray. These Gnostics were claiming that, that believers didn't have all the knowledge they needed. They said, you need to learn what we're teaching because you'll receive a special knowledge. And once you receive the special knowledge, you will have arrived and you'll get even closer with God if you just believe in what we're teaching. John is saying, no. Believer, don't buy into these people who claim to have new revelation. I cringe when someone says, hey, Seth, God told me this new revelation. I'll say, no, he didn't. That's indigestion or that's you just speaking. No, God doesn't give us new revelation. He has given us his revelation right here. This is more than enough. This is all we need. And who teaches us these words? The Holy Spirit. Again, when you read through the word, you'll get convicted. You'll be encouraged. You'll be challenged. You'll grow in your faith. Why? Because Holy Spirit is illuminating your mind. He's illuminating. There's a difference between illumination, revealing things to be, that are true, as opposed to revelation, giving things that are new. There's nothing new that God needs to reveal. He reveals new things to us as we grow in the sense of his word, but there's no new revelation, no new special revelation. That's what God or what John is getting at here. And I like how Jesus described the Holy Spirit as our teacher in John 16. He said, "When the spirit of the truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak." And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will declare to you what you need to know. He's not saying we don't need teachers because we, we need teachers who are believers, who are students of the word, who are led by the Holy Spirit. 
But we have the ultimate teacher, and his name is Holy Spirit. Let him guide you as you study his word in the right context. Let him guide you as you read his word, and he will illuminate your mind, and he will help you grow, and he will help you on your spiritual journey. But for those of you who are believers, have hope today. Know that the Holy Spirit is in you. He's with you. He's alive right now in you. You may not feel it, but he's there. And hold on to his promises, knowing that he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Let's pray.